Are you guys ready to finally break the spoiler barrier? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Let's Chuck Yeager this bitch. Season three, three. Banana. Season three, Banana. Someone Season three, Banana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C. With Blanche and John, the crew, a new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have, have to pee. pee. It's gonna cure your apathy. And on we, it's the Slum Gullion. We're still booking guns on the Slum Gullion. You're not getting guns on the Slum Gullion. You'll probably fade on the Good morning, afternoon, evening, and welcome to a special Star Wars Slummy. I am Scott, three hours behind. I am Jeff, three hours behind me is Scott. I had a Wonka moment, scratch that, reverse it. Now, as some of you may know, um, this past weekend, well, well weeks was a five-day fucking long convention. Good God, Disney. Star Wars Celebration was held, I believe it was in Chicago this year. Yes. And there was a lot of information dropped, some of it actually kind of interesting. But um, to start this Star Wars special slummy, I want to talk about Star Trek. Makes sense to me. So as um, most of you know who listen to this and who may or may not be Discovery fans, Discovery had its uh, second season finale this week. And as most of you who listen are probably aware, Scott and I are not real big fans of Discovery. But unlike most YouTube personalities, we just say it once and keep our fucking mouths shut. For the most part, we don't make it a weekly, oh my god, this show is destroying Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. From the beginning, kind of like Star Trek The Next Generation, um, it has had a few good things peppered in it. There has been some a couple of good performances, some interesting characters. I think what Scott and I have been not enjoying is what is, in our, our opinion, a, a woeful, woeful negligence on the writing staff. Criminal negligence, even. Uh, but that is neither here nor there. We're not trying to trigger people. I can't believe I just said trigger. This is just our opinion. But, 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 it took me a year and a half before I even remotely enjoyed Star Trek The Next Generation. Well, it has taken two seasons, but Discovery's finally done it. Not because of the actual finale. I had some major problems with the finale, but what they did with Discovery. We are about to go full spoiler. If you haven't seen it by now and care, go pay the money to CBS so your stream can be interrupted constantly. And here we go. The Star Trek prequel series is now the latest sequel in Star Trek history. That's that's accurate. That is this true statement. Through reasons too stupid to even go into... The Discovery is flung 950 years, I believe, in the future. Yep. And I couldn't be freaking happier about this. I am totally on board with the Discovery Season 3 if they stay 950 years in the future. Me too, because I was, if nothing else, tired of them tiptoeing around continuity. Kind of like a dad on Christmas Eve who's trying to put that bicycle together in the living room. Try not to crunch any of the parts, but it doesn't matter because he still steps on stuff and you hear him cursing under his breath and you go, well, that's not going to be put together in the morning. That's just not going to be done. They actually pulled it off and they sort of made the people who were saying, why does it have to be another prequel? I want Star Trek set in the future, the future of TNG, another hundred years. Well, they got that wish in a big way. And a bit of a fuck you at the same time. What I absolutely love about this, and Scott and I talked about this briefly the other day, is fuck canon now. 
Yeah. They literally can do whatever the hell that they want. And that gets me hard. <laughs> That's the thing. The tiptoeing around canon was what was making me so nervous. I swear to God, when it got to the end. Oh, and also, real. I also want to say, I give them points for, even though I couldn't stand any of it, the last act of this Discovery finale taking place still in the past. I thought that was a really sharp move, whether I liked what they did with it or not. The, the potential showrunner in me was going, this is the right way to do this. They committed to the bit, and I respect that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was probably just me, but when they were talking about the whole treason thing, if any of this is ever uttered again, all I could think of is teenagers from outer space and torture! Torture, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, you were saying. Well, I've just got a couple of things to get off my chest real quick about it, and then I will let it go. I have to say, it was a rocky road yes, getting it was. through all two seasons. Yes, it was. Uh, it and they is, did some criminally stupid things this season, in my opinion. They did. But you know what? It didn't have Picard, so I liked it a little bit better. It was let, Understood. Let, and it did have, as we, as, as we have said before, it did have a wonderful performance by Anson Mount, who, as I said to you privately, was not Lorca, but by the end of the season, I really liked Pike. Me too. I didn't know that much about him as an actor. I, I know I have seen him. But when he was cast as Black Bolt in the short-lived Inhumans TV series, yes. I thought, well, uh, that's certainly not going to be a showcase for anybody because basically the character doesn't speak. And when he does speak, when he's actually allowed to utter lines in the time-honored tradition of the theater, he's a rather charming actor. He he hit a lot of different notes on Pike. He made him multidimensional, but basically very much a type of person, a heroic sort. I really, really liked how they handled Pike seeing his fate. As much as I don't like when this show dips into actual canon, they did it right there. It was a bit of Star Trek horror mm-hmm. with his his face melting and this this grim this grim future to which he condemns himself by essentially doing the right thing. I also have to say kudos to the writing staff because I don't know how they're going to top this or even match it, but. I cannot argue about the size of the stakes, the fate of all sentient life in the galaxy, if not the universe, and the fact that the Pike made the the sacrifice he did was in keeping with who he had been painted as and in keeping with how serious the situation they were facing. It wasn't one of those situations where there's no suspense because you're thinking, well, of course he's going to choose to go through with it because you know that that's what happens to him. Right. We got to see that that decision making process. We got to see how agonizing it was, and and the and the fact that they had shown that horrifying glimpse of his half melted, immobile body. Say, well, this is what's waiting for you behind door number three. That was that was gruesome, and I think good TV. It really was. That was a genuinely. I was genuinely moved by that sequence, and that was the first time on the show. I'm like, okay, you've had your measure of a man moment. It wasn't the entire episode like Measure of a Man, but you had the moment when I went, okay, you finally got me with some great storytelling here. They did pay off a lot of the relationships that they've been building over the past They did. Whether whether I like them or not, they did exact they did everything they needed to do to tie up the story. Since I have been praising it, I have to throw out one damning moment. I freaking despised the funeral for their metal chick. Oh, Aria? Aria, thank you. I couldn't remember her name. I hated that. That character had had no freaking lines up to that point. And then all of a sudden, we're all supposed to feel their emotion for having lost her. We did, they, she did not deserve that exit. I really feel bad for the actress because she got nothing but that character. I actually don't feel that bad for the actress because the actress left halfway through. It was, a, it was a different actress in the second season. 
explains a lot. Yeah, two separate actresses played that part. They got away with it because of the makeup. Right. Well, that shows you how much I pay attention to the show. In as much as I, I feel like they, they paid off a lot of carefully established relationships in the finale, they also did pull that cheat. In, in no way did they earn the tears for that character that were shed. Uh, you mentioned Pike catching a glimpse of his doom. One thing I couldn't get out of my head. That scene where Burnham glimpses the future and sees an, an implacable, unstoppable bad guy stepping onto the bridge and shooting everybody was clearly ripped off from the Omega-13 scene at the end of Galaxy Quest. <laughs> yep. And and <laughs> I I approve. Now, while we're on that subject, I, it's it's obvious that the action scene in the corridor with Giorgio and Leland, the bad Well, guy, that was just for Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and thank goodness I couldn't have been happier. But I mean, th- that scene in the corridor with the gravity rotating... 360 degrees. Oh, that was was, cool. It was cool, but it was obviously stolen from Fred Astaire's gruesome fight scene in Royal Wedding. That is true. I cannot deny you that, but it was a nice homage. I was delighted with how much uh, ass-kicking she got to do in the the last two episodes. That's the thing. The back half of this season, they started to find their groove for for me, which is another reason why I'm really looking forward to season three and them having no ties to the past. Mm Mm-hmm. And that being said, I'm still excited for the Section 31 miniseries. Oh, I am too. All the more so now. But Ash is now the head? Well, no. That, uh, but just, they have just, to rebuild it. Well, they say they're going to have to rebuild it. But the guy who's saying this to, our, to the characters, <laughs> we never see his face. Yep. They show his mouth. They show his chin. They show the back of his head. So I'm going, well, is this somebody? Why Why don't we know who this originally is? He w- originally, he was played by... Um, Oh, shit. I, I lost the fucking joke. Henry Cavill, but he got out because of a, uh, contract disputes. Right. I ruined the joke. Never mind. Go on. All right. My heads are hung in shame. That was horrible. Uh. And another thing, that endless sequence of Burnham saying goodbye to everyone she's ever loved, uh, worked with, met, or shared a grocery store checkout line with was the longest goodbye since Raymond Chandler's The Long Goodbye. Oh, I was going to say that was the longest goodbye since David Tennant's. I had Tennant vibes that entire sequence that bugged the fuck out of me. <laughs> yep. And uh, I don't know if Starfleet has adopted the U.S. Navy practice of bestowing nicknames on vessels like Old Ironsides or The Fighting Lady. But after this episode, the finale, I, I moved they dubbed Discovery the weepiest ship in the fleet. <laughs> Now, an interesting little thing is, did have you seen any of the short Discovery films that they made? No. I thought I could get away without it, but apparently I do have to see them because at least I have to the see The one in particular. Yes, the one uh, uh, Runaway with, uh, with Tilly. Yes, and the one with the Discovery from 950 years in the future. Right. So, continuing on our discussion about Star Trek, now we're going to talk about the Orville. <laughs> All right. Now, you finally got to watch the two-parter, Identity. Yes, I did. What did I tell you about Identity? Uh, A lot of stuff that sounded really improbable and hard to back up, but was, uh, generally speaking, true. (laughs) That was a fucking game-changer for that show. It was a game-changer for that show and maybe for science fiction on television. As much as there was a there was a massive and extended battle sequence at the end of the last episode of uh, Star Trek Discovery, the fight scene in the Orville where there the three fleets are having at it over Earth was not only I think bigger in scale and better paced and more exciting, but it was also more lucid. It was easier to see what was going on. 
But the Orville, again, the stakes, given that I am something of a human chauvinist, I have a lot of home planet pride. The stakes were, were big and immediate. And all the time I was thinking, good grief, what sort of blackmail material does Seth MacFarlane have on the head of the Fox network? Because they are spending so much money on this thing. It's absolutely astonishing. The, the amount of money they spent on, on the scene where the, the, the first episode, which were, didn't involve battles, but did involve Isaac's planet. Oh, man, that There's landing sequence. So much CG in this. I, I think what would this would have been like if Paramount had been similarly invested in, in uh, the, the next generation when it first came out and they spent a comparable amount of money. But, you know, it doesn't matter because the technology wasn't there. Right. Not only was, was the technology not available on the supply side, but on the consumer side. Our TVs weren't up to it. Now, television right. technology will give you that theater experience. So it wasn't it wasn't wasted. It really came across with a tremendous amount of impact. I am I am have been con- constantly amazed by just how entertaining that show is. Even the bad episodes have a few j- good. They have good jokes in them. I think that's true. I haven't. There have been no bad episodes for me in the sense that I just disliked them all the way through. There was nothing redeeming. There were some that were slower, but the good and the best episodes, which to, to my mind make up the bulk of the season, agreed, agreed, have shown a, a tremendous amount of growth and maturity in the second season. Because in the first season, it was something that John actually said when I was. A playwright and he would read my stuff and he would give me feedback and he said it's one thing that you always do he says if you go more than five lines without a laugh you start getting nervous and i thought that's absolutely true even if it wasn't necessarily a comedy i just that that was the rhythm i was in and there were strained jokes or jokes that were there whether they were funny or not often they were but they were there to hit the hit the joke button and it had to be right. hit a certain number of times. You got the sense that that McFarlane, who still writes the bulk of the episodes, had a lot less confidence and was feeling his way through it and wondering how far he could push it toward what he wanted to do, which was just do Star Trek. This season, he seems to have decided, well, nobody sued me yet. So there are still jokes and the jokes are good, but they are not compulsive. And there's a lot of emotional content to the show, even given the fact that they are not weepy and huggy characters like they are on Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen this episode yet, but just to tease you, best use of a Dolly Parton song in forever. Oh, I heard about that. I saw people referencing it on uh, Twitter. Okay, oh not, man. I didn't, I didn't look at the memes because I didn't want okay, to Okay, good, 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 good. It's Okay, then you don't know what the actual reference is? No, I just know. Okay, it's it's awesome. It's really, really awesome. It's another one of those perfect setup payoff references. It's not even a joke. I mean, it's a full-blown, but there's a setup to it, and there's a payoff. All right. Well, okay, that's our Star Wars special. We want to thank you guys for listening. Okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yes, Star Wars celebration happened. <sighs> sure did. <laughs> now, I have to admit, um, I, a lot of the talk about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge really wants me, is really making me want to, for my 50th birthday, provided we haven't blown ourselves up, go there. I think I might be able to get a ticket in two years. Possibly, possibly. If I order it now. Yeah, it's it's going to be crazy. I don't know if I have if I have gotten past my misanthropy to the point where I could stand being around that many people, even people who share 
my enthusiasm for this subject in the midst of which we are standing. I completely understand that. For me, though, it's entirely, wait, they give you a chance to roleplay Star Wars? Hell yeah. I, yeah. That is it for me. There is no contest. The fact that you can roleplay Star Wars in a huge Star Wars land. I'm like, I, don't, I don't give a fuck if it only has two rides. I just want to go and wander around. <laughs> right. And you, you are an experienced and unashamed LARPer. I would be, I would be self-conscious. Yeah, I would be. I want to. I want to. I want to get a costume. I want to get a lightsaber. Maybe I don't know for what character want to go yet. But I am. I'm. I'm not even going to warn those fuckers. They're getting a full blown larper coming to play for at least for at least a, for a little bit. And you know what? That's a good thing because people like me do not make the experience fun. People like you make the experience fun. But um, the big reveals, of course, were um, well. We'll we'll lead up. We'll lead up to the big one first. We had um, EA's reveal, yeah, EA, of <laughs> uh, star the a video game, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and there was huge applause because it's a single player, story driven game with no microtransactions. Oh, gee, thank you so much, EA. You are the saviors of everybody. But to the actual people who made the game, more power to you. Thank you for giving us a single-player Star Wars game. It stars um, Cameron Monaghan from Shameless and, and, of course, most recently is Jerome Jeremiah Valeska. Mm-hmm. And you get to be a fucking Jedi. I am so totally down for this game. I am cautiously optimistic. They say no microtransactions, but still EA. Well, yeah, because it's EA, the no microtransactions will last at most three months. Then they will start adding adding things which are da- extra downloadable content and things that you can buy for in-game use. It's inevitable. It's the inescapable business model for these games. Un- unfortunately, but the trailer looked exceptionally cool. And I, just the fact that they even announced that, that we were getting... I, it's kind of sad that we've gotten to the point where saying a single-player story-driven game with no microtransactions gets innovation. Well, that's where we went. But that, yeah, that, that, but that, yeah, that, that's that's the way the cook the, the cookie did in fact crumble. Now, some people would say that I would go to um, the Mandalorian as the number as the number two thing to talk about and and lead, of course, with Episode Nine. But I want to talk about Episode Nine first. That's fine. I don't even know what to say. Here's the thing. I am about 90% sure that what's going to happen, like this is the only trailer I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to watch the next story trailer. I did the same thing with uh, episode eight and episode seven. I watched the first teaser and that was it. I am 99.99% sure that Abrams is going to give the ultimate fan service even more so than uh, The Force Awakens and that this is going to be a satisfying, emotionally driven fan service end to the Skywalker saga. I'm sure it's going to be. And then everyone's going to go, oh my god, he finally retconned all the flaws of The Last Jedi, blah, 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 blah. I mean, th- th- there's going to be that conversation. There's going to be more Ryan Johnson hate. But, and, the, and it's very possible that the conversation will be everybody praising this movie, especially after The Last Jedi. I'm sure he, Abrams is like, okay, we got to make everybody happy. This is my prediction. Based on that, I don't believe that that is a strong possibility, if only because people went so far to either extreme with The Last Jedi in defending it or attacking it. And and the problem with social media, of course, is it leaves this trail of receipts. I don't think anyone's going to admit that they were wrong about anything. I don't think anyone's going to back down. What I think might happen, the closest we'll get to that 
kumbaya moment is the general temperature of the discussion just being lower because not as many, some people are just opting out of saying anything because they got so worked up about the first one that it's hard for them to climb back down. You know, they're like a cat stuck in a tree. Yeah, that's true. They have to move on. Although I don't know. I mean, since they all moved to Captain, you know, they all moved to Captain Marvel and Star Wars a couple years, a couple months later was the perfect get back on for the hate. On a personal level, I, I think I'm going to walk out of this movie fan geeking my balls off. I mean, my God, just seeing Lando, I got a fan geek boner. And I'm sure it's going to be very satisfying and blah, blah, blah. And as much as I hate saying it, I just want the next trilogy now that the Skywalker saga is dead. Let's see the rest of the universe, which is why I am exceptionally excited for The Mandalorian. See what I did there, Scott? I did. I like that. That was nice Thank you very much. The reason... Why I am using The Mandalorian as my number one is even though as an old school diehard, you know, as Walter always calls me, not an OG, but an OJ original Jedi. And this may be set in the past, but we're seeing an area of Star Wars that we rarely see. And and even better from the footage that was leaked online. Thank you, whoever did that. I can't wait for the official reveal. But from the footage that was leaked online, everything, it made it feel like a fucking Sergio Leone Western with Werner Herzog. Yeah. This, this is also true. I was never a Boba Fett fanboy. I never understood the affection for him because to me, he was basically Wile E. Coyote. It was just the cool armor. But I think the Mandalorians is cooler. Yeah, it's a little more understated and a little less uh, costume shoppy and you know thrown together from thrift store remnants. Yeah, I, I'm excited. It's, it's, they've been, I mean, Lucas has been teasing a, a TV series set in the Star Wars underworld for how many years? 15 years? And, and that's not even including the, the, the EA canceled game 1313. Right. Um, we, were, we were actually going to be able to play in that area of the Star Wars universe. Apparently he had a bunch of scripts written for a completed TV series. And yep, yep. I guess it was just too expensive. But it's, this is, I have to say, as much as, as much as I find, can find CGI cold and underwhelming simply because it makes watching a movie feel like watching someone else play a video game. <laughs> I, I understand that, actually. Yeah, good analogy. I have to say that that given what we saw with the in the finale of, of uh, Star Trek Discovery, given what we saw in the two-parter of the Orville, and now given what I'm sure they're going to be doing with um, The Mandalorian, that- CG has allowed this world to be brought to television now. And also, they are, they, are, they are doing a mixture of practical as well. Not everything. They're not always acting against green screens. Right. He was walking through real three-dimensional sets. So they, they are spending money. And, and Disney has billions to spend. And they want, they, they, it's really very important for them to establish a dominant, in fact, domineering position in yes. the streaming format. Because everybody's coming out with their own now. Already we're seeing things fracture. I got a membership to the DC Universe Online all I've watched so far is an episode of Doom Patrol. Um, <laughs> I've heard very good things about Doom Patrol. Actually. I did. I liked the first episode. Mary liked it. Doom Patrol was a, was a comic that that fascinated and repelled me when I was a child. And when I, you know, when you were sick, my dad would bring home comic books. That's really the only time right. I got them. And it was uh, carefully curated at first. When I was little, I was like six years old. There'd be Archie, and there'd be little little Audrey or little Lulu or little somebody. And then when my I got a little bit older, my bug my mom to bring me some comic books um, when I was sick. She would just grab stuff. She didn't care. 
And uh, I saw the, right. the original run of Doom Patrol, which was <clears throat> so dark and depressing and haunted. And it was it was DC's effort to basically match what Marvel was doing. Because all, in, in DC, if you've got a superpower, then that's the greatest thing in the world. And you become a god. And then if you're in the Marvel Universe, fortunately, if you get a superpower, your like is not to be a freak and people will hate you. So right. they, they tried. Basically, that was Doom Patrol. These were all hideous abominations. And they were struggling to give their lives their, their broken grotesque lives meaning by trying to help people and half the time nobody wanted them near them it, it's catchy a little bit of that flavor that i remember from when i was a kid so i i do enjoy it but i'm wondering how much how much warner brothers is going to commit resources to the dc streaming service because now they're starting their own warner brothers branded streaming service and already you know they announced the swamp thing series based apparently largely on the alan moore run of, of the comics and shortly after announcing it and posting a teaser, they cut the episode uh, order from 13 to 10. Yeah, from 13 to 10, right? So there's not enough room for all of these companies to have their own separate streaming services. And I say that as someone who already thinks there's way too much consolidation in uh, the entertainment business. And hmm. I, I was not in favor. Here I'm being an incredibly bad geek. I was not at all in favor of Disney buying Fox. That's right. just terrifying monopolism. And I agree with you on that, actually. Granted, it means, hey, they can use Spider-Man whenever they want. Or, oh, they can do the X-Men. Or maybe some now they can finally do a decent version of Fantastic Four. But it's bad for the country. So I, don't re- I really don't know what's going to happen. I mean, Hulu was a good model. It's like everybody had a piece of it. Everybody contributed mm-hmm. to shows. Now everyone's going to pull their own shows back. And who knows what the hell's going to happen with Netflix. They're, they're in a panic and desperately trying to create their own content because they're going to lose, you know, friends. They're going to lose They're going to lose a bunch of series that are their bread and butter once the rights owners have their own streaming services. So it's just going to be a big, big mess. It's going to be 57 channels and too much on. Yeah. And, and, every, yeah, and yeah. everything. everything's a 10 buck subscription, you know? And I... I Disney again is smart. Like I, I, I resist giving them money because of their business practices. But they go, yeah, but look at all you get and all the Star Wars movies and all this stuff and the Mandalorian six ninety nine. I go, ah, oh, damn you, damn you. Yeah, that's the thing is, I mean, especially after watching that preview, I'm like, okay, I'm decided. I will be getting Disney Plus at the very least for one month for the man. Yep, me too. I, I need to watch that show. I need to watch. I'm like, finally, once again, Star Wars is Star Wars is doing something very different and very interesting. I'm like, I'm there for it. Yep, and usually that kind of thing has been confined to like the books or the comics. They have been very risk averse in the movie universe, except with the Last Jedi, and then half the people hated it. But it went it shit. Yeah, because it was something different. So. And then they gave us Solo. <laughs> and then they gave us Solo. Well, you know, I just don't think Kathleen Kennedy knows what she's doing. I just don't. I just don't. I don't think she knows what she's doing. I think she's somebody who's over her head and should not. And whether she's a good producer or not, she's not a good creative producer. She does not know what the fans want. And uh, Solo was such a bad idea. Solo could not have been a worse idea. They they and they kind of queered the whole Star Wars stories brand for themselves by opening with Solo. They were trying to reduce the risk by by going with a, a brand name that everyone likes Han Solo who doesn't like Han Solo and, and they made people actually hate Han Solo or be incredibly bored by him and, or feel sorry for him that's how I felt I felt sorry for Han Solo when they could have come up with some new character they, they could have pulled any one of hundreds of characters out of the uh, expanded universe canon that they've 
chucked away, but not really. And and done something not part of the saga, but in the Star Wars universe. And they chose not to do that. So I don't know. Maybe they're I got the sense there was a course correction. But I also got the sense that they were at Star Wars Celebration, that they were scared. This whole, uh, maybe one Star Wars movie a year is too much. Maybe we should just pull it back and maybe do one, like one every two years, one every three years. Well, they're right in that instance, but... Uh, they are, if they kept doing what they've been doing. The, the frequency of it, I mean, I think one every six months is too much. But yeah. one a year is fine. That's destination programming. And I think it would have been fine if they had been smarter about what they were producing and what the fans wanted to see and how to appeal to new generations of fans. Because you and I will be dead soon. And they Gee, really, thanks. They got to start pulling in the kids, the ones who were not who were not seduced by Star Wars in an impressionable age like we were. Right. That, no, that, that is, and the that ones is who didn't very see, true. The ones who didn't see it in a movie theater when they were, you know, whatever, nine years old, staring agog at that big scream as a Star Destroyer cleaves down from the top of the screen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> nobody had ever seen anything like that. And it, nope. n- none of us have ever really forgotten it. And now uh, the, a lot of the kids who are into Star Wars or who are acquainted with Star Wars made their acquaintance with it on a television screen. I can't even imagine what that must be like, how underwhelming it would be. However big your home, whether you've got the 65-inch plasma screen or what. I remember watching Star Wars on television the first time. I was all excited. I was ready for it. And I'm like, nope, I, I could not do it. That's why I was so happy when I discovered Letterbox. Letterbox was a major deal, wasn't it? Boy, I just, there's nothing I hated more than pan and scan. And I, uh, some people I knew could not watch it because they've been tr- their eyes have been trained to deal with pan and scan, but they could not handle right. those black bars at the top of the screen. I'm going, yeah, ah. but there's like f- an aggregate 40% of the movie on the side you're missing. Granted, you're missing the top and the bottom, but... Mom story before we, b- before I wrap this puppy up, but this ties into this. Um, Mom was never a big fan of Letterboxd. No. And I, I kept trying to uh, get her into the joys of Letterbox, and she never did. And one day I came up with the perfect way. She was watching um, Star Trek Generations oh. on Sci Fi Channel. Uh-huh. Okay. And I watched the scene that she was at, and I went and got my Letterbox copy of Star Trek Generations on VHS, and I played her the exact same scene. Ah. Oh. From that point on, she would not watch Pan and Scan. Good for her. <laughs> I, it, 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 it wasn't funny, but it was. I mean, as soon as the scene started, her eyes just, her jaw dropped. She's like, I'm missing that much? I'm like, well, this is a this is a big, 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 big screen. So, yeah, some of the films, not as much depending on the screen size, but there you go. Well, and she said, never again. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, we, we were so accustomed to it, and, and we all grew up with that with that basically square television screen that, we had no clue what we were missing. You you took it for granted. <laughs> Sometimes it was comically obvious if you're watching something that was, say, filmed in Cinemascope. You know, if you try to watch How the West Was Won. Although, you know what you know what got me into Letterboxd? Tangent, but this is a true story. Seeing Halloween on the big screen. One year, it, this, it was the year... We're going to go back in time here for a second, Scott. Yes, the year was 1988. 
I was living away, and they were showing how I'm dropping the voice now. Uh, they were showing Halloween as part of a Halloween night um, horror marathon. This multiplex by where I lived was showing a different classic horror film on each screen. Oh, wow. And Halloween was one of the films that was being shown, and I had never seen Halloween on the big screen before. So I'm like, I am going to see this motherfucker on the big screen. And there's a moment in the film where um, every time I'd seen it on TV and on VHS, there was a musical sting that I never understood. This music cue just happened all of a sudden. There was no explanation for it. But then seeing it on the big screen and widescreen, all of a sudden, when this music cue popped up, so did Michael Myers. And I had never seen that before, and it scared the living fuck out of me. Ah. And I was like, oh my God, he used the corner of the screen for dramatic effect. And then I, and that, and then learning more about that and why I'd never seen that before, that was how I discovered Pan and Scan versus Letterbox. Yeah, I always wondered about directors who did that in the Pan and Scan era. You you weren't really thinking about this selling to TV at all, were you? The Ten Commandments on TV. Yeah, I don't really blame uh, Cecil B. DeMille because he was directly competing with TV. He was trying to make something that you literally could not see on well, TV. Yes. But by the 80s, I always wondered about directors who, who were telling the story in a way that would be unintelligible on television. But I get, you know, hey, that's that wasn't their problem. I remember I, yeah, back in the back in the VHS days, I would always be like, okay, science fiction films, horror films, and stuff like that. I will do Letterbox. I really don't care if I watch the Letterbox version of Four Weddings and a Funeral. Yeah, yeah. I admit it. There were some films that when they came out, I'm like, I don't care if I'm going to miss the sides of this film. But it was like anytime it was a science fiction fantasy or what you call it, I was like, yeah, I got to buy Letterbox. Well, anytime there was there was spectacle or care in telling the story visually. I mean, can you imagine trying trying to get through the climax of Obligance's Napoleon in a pan and scan version? They've got all three screens open at once. Oh God. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, anyway, folks, that is our discussion of the black hole. I want to thank you for joining us today, Scott. It has been a pleasure as always. Absolutely. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. That's, That's right. right. It's, it's the, the unknown, unknown movie, movie challenge. challenge. It's the unknown what movie. we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown what movie. Unknown movie challenge. That's right. It's the unknown movie challenge. Ready for battle. And welcome back to the Blumgullion and our special supersized issue episode discussing Saved by the Bell, the college years. Scott is back with me and joining us is a section of the new movie crew, John and Blanche from Hawaii. Howdy, folks. Aloha. Aloha. Now, Mrs. C, unfortunately, will not be joining us for this one, but we are going to be bringing her back in the next episode for something very, very special. We don't know what it is yet, but it will be special. And, of course, I was kidding. We are not discussing Saved by the Bell, the college years, because nobody else does. No, today we are talking Avengers Endgame. That is right. The 22nd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe the ending of the first three phases, the ending of uh, Tony Stark's life. That's right. Let's start the spoiler breaking right off yeah, the right bat. Off, right off the bat. 
<laughs> now, um, I really don't want to go through a, a UMC dissection of the movie t- degree because the film's three hours long and our dissection would probably take twice that. But I do want to say right up front for anything, there is positive evidence that the Avengers listen to this podcast. Because <laughs> what did they do as soon as they found Thanos? They cut up his arm just as I suggested. Yeah. And then Tony Stark finally got a screwdriver. (laughs) (laughs) That is that is a valid, valid point, good sir. Again, so, just as I suggested. That's right. I remember that. All right. All right, that Hollywood. The franchise. Nice. Hey, well, I know. Hey, I know that George Lucas listened to the boys because after the boys did their um, "Lime and the Coconut" song about Star Wars, the Clone Wars being too funny, it suddenly got serious. <laughs> so occasionally that stuff happens. So that's awesome. So I am going to do a a, a very very um, quick plot synopsis and then i will open the floor um let's see act one everyone is depressed act two wibbly wobbly timey wimey bullshit and act three the mother of all battles is that an effective plot summation but uh, yeah yeah <laughs> So um, that's really all you need to know as far as the plot. So now I'm going, I don't even, I honestly don't even know where to start with this thing except for general thoughts. Folks, what did you think of the culmination of 22 films? Let us start with our Hawaiian friends. Well, I I think Blanche agrees with me. We we found that there were several little inconsistencies to the film, but they made us not care. Yeah, it was kind of like that. I was like, but what about this and what about that and all that that wibbly wobbly timey what we actually I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what we were going through going but no that time and John kept saying wibbly uh, no he kept saying timey wimey timey wimey (laughs) and and I was like you're right it's it's a it's a very wibbly wobbly timey wimey and and I didn't really care I was like well they get kudos from me for making me say oh fuck it I don't care I just want to enjoy and be happy even though it had it, real, real timey wimey problems. And it starts it starts right from the beginning with finding out that uh, Captain Marvel's powers include being able to vibrate her throat without any air in order to form <laughs> words. And then I guess the tech the technology cleaned it up so it sounded just like her. Yeah. <laughs> well she is so powerful though. So powerful. So powerful. She has the powers of Thomas Dolby. <laughs> well, she, hey, she blinded us with science. She did, but she she blinded Tony when she first manifested in, in front of the ship. You know, something that was interesting to me, and you guys, since you guys brought this up, not only the glimpse into the characters' inner lives, because of course you learn the most about someone with the lowest point. I also learned some things about the popular culture of the Marvel universe. For instance, a whole bunch of American-made movies that exist in our universe exist in the MCU. But they have no Doctor Who. Of course not. Because they went through a whole long litany of movies with time travel plot lines or devices. But not once 
Did somebody take the obvious opportunity to say wibbly wibbly timey wimey? <laughs> Be- exactly, because they did not want the comparison. This is the wibbly wobbly timey wimey for the MCU right here. They didn't need the doctor. Uh, they right. didn't, and I think you're right. They didn't want it. Why open that can of worms? But I think exactly. it's not like they really worked hard to make the, the time travel internally consistent. You guys are absolutely right. But And you're also absolutely right that I didn't care. <laughs> right. Normally, I'm the person that does care. This is the shit that normally pisses me off and i didn't care exactly <laughs> and for I the marvel that. movies and you know that you know how i feel about the marvel films and this film i didn't care but it's like they knew they knew because they threw out all of the names of all of the time travel movies and said look at all the movies you bought and you enjoyed and didn't give a shit about so don't yep. come at like they, they, they i swear that's what they did they said I don't you accepted all of these premises so you're gonna buy ours too so right. there. You, it's too late yeah. to send it back to the kitchen. You've eaten more than half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before before we get too in depth, there is something that um, I, I want to say. I, I I really need to apologize to Marvel. Yeah. As you know, when we spoke about Avengers: Infinity War, I went on at great length about how since Marvel had announced all of their Phase Four movies, we knew various the various sequels that most of the deaths that occurred in Infinity War really meant absolutely nothing so I had absolutely you know no emotional connection to them except for of course Tom Holland's brilliant performance during his death and I also complained about how Marvel ruined everything by just spilling the beans Marvel didn't spill shit on this movie you know what right. you're, you're absolutely right and I and I want to get into that but you brought up a point that changed my mind too because I walked out feeling similarly having you know read the Hollywood reporter and the variety announcements about the upcoming slate of films I knew that the people who turned to leaf mold were going to be restored in time to top line their own blockbusters so I was thinking, oh, how can they possibly expect this to have... I mean, it was still punishing experience in a lot of ways to to go through the previous film. But I was thinking, how can they expect this to really have any sort of deeply resonant emotional effect on the audience? And then when I was watching Endgame, and as you say, the first act, everybody's depressed. I was really, oh, you know what? Captain America doesn't read Variety. Black Widow Mm -hmm. doesn't have a subscription to The Hollywood Reporter. They don't know their friends are coming back. And because we have an emotional connection to these guys, we feel bad anyway, because they don't know that any of this is going to work. I thought, oh, okay. It's not all about the audience's feelings. Sometimes it's about, it really should, in any good storytelling enterprise, it really should be about the character's feelings. And then the author's responsibility is to make you care about the characters. And then you care about how they feel regardless. I walked out of Endgame feeling very pleased that all the theorists were wrong. Yes. (laughs) 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 Right. And the other thing, like, A, I give Marvel points for, um, like I said, lying basically to let to the audience in the trailers um fat thor or the big thorbowski but i also <laughs> really give them massive points for act one now some of the inevitable marvel haters are saying that act one of the movie is the most boring part of the film i've seen that on more than one twitter feed and to mm-hmm. me that was what fucking drew me in that was the emotional connection that i was missing from endgame Gee, maybe because this is the second part of the film, maybe that's why. But, I mean, I absolutely loved the first section of the movie because it was all about the characters dealing with the grief, which is what you needed for Act 2 and 3 to be important. Well, if you didn't do it, though, it would be a huge failure in storytelling because 
you have to relay the impact of what actually happened. And it was huge. Mm-hmm. It was immense, bigger than we could imagine. And so if you just kind of gloss it over and say, oh, well, just another day as a superhero, uh, it, it would be bad, plain you bad. Know what? And we were theorizing, this, speaking of theorists, is that having seen Endgame, that these upcoming movies for these characters are actually going to predate the uh, Infinity War. Right, like Spider-Man, Scott. Yeah. Well, I can before. say I can say that the newest trailer for um, Spider-Man: Far From Home, which has not been released yet, but they have announced that the newest trailer for Spider-Man: Far From Home will have a comment from um, Tom Holland at the beginning saying that there are spoilers for Endgame in the trailer. Ooh. So just saying, nope, no, Far From Home takes place after. Something we learned that was interesting, when Ned showed up at the end, uh, yep. when uh, Peter Parker uh, ran into Ned, we know Ned was one of those people who was dusted because they're yep. both yes. still in the same grade. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, that was the thing. So all of his, all the academic decathlon members were dusted. <laughs> Every single one. It looks like Spider-Man and his amazing friends were all dusted. <laughs> <laughs> What are the odds? <laughs> you know, this just well, goes to prove it never it, it never pays to be the friend of a superhero. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. I thought, yeah, uh, I thought and, and I could be wrong, but I thought I had read uh, and I wish I wish I'd looked it up now that Feige said that he felt that uh, far from home is the end is the that real is end. That is true. I have read that as well. And so that's why I thought, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. So then then that probably is right before the events of uh, Infinity War and Endgame. And then, you know, that's... But no, but like I said, um, I have seen more than one report that um, yeah, Tom Holland will be saying that this trailer has a, a spoiler for Endgame. Take that for what it was. Like I said, I, I have not heard when the trailer will be released. I'm going to assume it's going to be like Monday or Tuesday, Probably. considering mm-hmm. the spoiler ban's been lifted and Endgame is what, like a month away? I mean, I mean, Far From Home is what, a month away? I, I thought it came out in July. Oh, okay. I thought, okay. I thought it was June. Two months away. I, I agree with you about the, the first act. I saw the movie again last night. Oh, did you go again? Good for I you. Did go, yeah. And I, I saw a lot more this time because I was That's looking. why I saw it a couple times as well. I wanted to catch all the little shit as well. Yeah, and it wasn't just that I was I was on an Easter egg hunt. I, I also just wanted to look at things that I was not capable of taking in because I, I, I just I was begging the story to, to give me what I, I wanted. <laughs> and in this case, I was able to look at how they did it. Mm-hmm. And, and and there were a lot of performance subtleties that I caught the second time. But the first time, I didn't even go to the movie to see the second half of the story. I went to the movie as therapy because it's like <laughs> I had blockbuster PTSD after, <laughs> after the previous film. The fact that everybody was depressed and it wasn't it wasn't slow moving, but it was a more it moved at the the pace of depressed people, which is. All right, give me a second. Like the fact that that it takes us into Steve Rogers' group therapy session was perfect. Yep. It's like, okay, yep. yeah, well, I'm already in a chair. You know, somebody hand me the talking stick because I have I feelings. Mean, that the the the, o- the opening scene with Hawkeye. As soon as it focused oh, on Hawkeye yeah. with his family, I'm oh, like, my oh gosh. fuck, oh yes. fuck, no, don't do this, yes. please, don't do this. Exactly. Even knowing that he would even. Unfortunately, again, because I read shit, knowing that he was going to become Ronin, I had a feeling that his family was going to get dusted, but still watching it. Now, part of it may be because of losing mom two months ago, but still, that came on. I'm just like, no, mm-hmm. no, I don't need to watch this. I don't need to see this part. Please don't show me. Fuck. And they but did I mean, it in just- this idyllic setting 
on, yes. a, on, a, on a lovely sunny day and just his entire family was destroyed they didn't really show it they hinted at it yeah because yes. he turns around and just you see the the remnants of the little flakes right mm-hmm. and he turns they around and everybody else is gone so they, they didn't, they didn't go to show it they didn't yeah, even exactly. have to show it because it we perfect. saw the dusting in the previous film there was no reason exactly. to show it. they did the right thing there that was yeah. actually some brilliant filmmaking on the russo's part in my opinion that's a theme i think we're going to return to in this in this discussion is the astonishing amount of restraint that was shown they didn't handhold you too much through this movie they they assumed Except for time travel <laughs> well yeah because because that was what well, what i mean by that is oh, I know all, they assume that you've come you've been there for most of the previous movies Mm-hmm. And that you saw them enough that you would get a reference. So they didn't over-explain anything. But you mentioned the, the, the stuff they did really lean into as far as exposition was the time travel stuff, which was never really, Ant-Man aside, was never really part of the MCU. So there, the one new element, there was a little bit of hand-holding. But most of it, it's like, you, you guys were all here for the, the previous movie. You probably saw it several times. And that, that's another thing. In the, the current market where p- people go to blockbusters multiple times, you see them on streaming, they own the movies. Filmmakers can assume you've seen the previous uh, editions or entries more than once. It does allow them to be more subtle yep. when they call back. Like, I know I'm jumping far, far, far ahead here, but talking about what you said, Scott, the fact that they brought the kid back from Iron Man 3 for Tony's funeral. Yeah. He yeah. had no lines, just the fact that he was there. Yeah, I thought that. I know. I thought, I thought that was amazing. We kept wondering who that was until we looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that a lot of people were like, "Who was that? Who was that person? And why was the camera on him?" Right. right exactly. I, I just thought I, again an, another beautiful little little subtle touch that I thought was just phenomenal. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's, it's interesting. Also, you brought that up because it that's something about tony's character that i always thought rang true and was psychologically astute for these kind of movies was that tony felt abandoned by his father one because dad was always focused on work two because dad died before tony got a chance to prove himself to him so he was one of those fatherless guys who and i've known a couple in my life who tend to, when they're young, look to older authority figures as kind of surrogate fathers, which which he did with Obadiah Stane, obviously, in the first film. But they also, when they get older, they tend to collect sort of surrogate sons. There's that kid in Iron Man 3. There's his relationship with Peter Parker, which is very much a, a surrogate father relationship. I just thought that was interesting that they gave him that trait. It was it was internally consistent across the entire franchise. And I liked well, it. It gave him depth. Yeah. What I, what I liked about that is that... That movie, though, was where we first see him open up to that because mm-hmm. he wasn't yep. that guy. You actually see in that movie him like, get away, kid. I don't give a shit about you. Yep. And he evolves. Yes. And then he evolves further with in the homecoming or. Yeah. And so you see the progression. They, they did such they did so right by Iron Man in his story, his arc. Which is funny, considering when the first film came out, everyone hated the character. And no one thought that AC... Oh, God, yeah. At that point, when the first Iron Man came out, uh, in in the comics, Iron Man was a B-list hero. Right. Right. No, I knew that. But I mean... Oh, I I just meant that, yeah, he wasn't very well-liked as a character when that film came out. That's why they weren't really sure how well the film was going to do, because like they hadn't done anything good with Iron Man in a while. So, I mean, it was a genuine surprise to everybody... 
a how well the film did and how much ago uh, most of the re- the response to the character was of course to Robert Downey Jr.'s great performance right. but I mean yeah at that time you know the character was not well liked at all well he wasn't it, well, he wasn't he wasn't all that well known but but Blanche you're getting you got to a point that really struck me too and it struck Mary in the same way because when we walked out of Endgame the first thing we should she said was I want to watch Iron Man again yep <laughs> And I have been thinking, and since since the, I saw it the first time and since I saw it the second time, of exactly the point you brought up of his arc, how he shows up as, as, this, as this self-centered, borderline amoral character in the beginning, and how he evolves over all of these movies to start caring about people, sometimes caring too much and making problems, like in Civil War, to kind of collecting these surrogate sons to sacrificing himself for everybody the tony stark who gave his life at the end of endgame and believably so it didn't come out of nowhere would have been unrecognizable and uh, to the this tony stark would meet in iron man at the beginning the first act of iron man he would have rolled his eyes at that guy yep so i, I think you're right it's i'm so glad i mean it was a toss-up really who was going to die who's going to make the sacrifice play whether it was going to be steve or it was going to be uh tony you're mm-hmm. right the fact that they picked tony it was it was a perfect conclusion to his arc i i I think you raise a good point, though, when you say it was a toss-up. I think something they did really well throughout this film is toss-ups of people who are going to die. Right. Uh, There are several times throughout where they think, ooh, that person's going to die, or that person's going to sacrifice themselves, or that person. And and it kept switching up, Mm -hmm. you know, and they kept kept you guessing. Even though, even if you were ultimately right, it still made you doubt. Like, I'm I'm talking specifically of the the Hawkeye and, and... Black Widow was like, oh, she's going to go. He's going to go. She's going to go. And then he jumps. You're like, oh, I guess I was wrong. Oh, there she goes. You know, and then it was just like the back and forth. And then, of course, later on with Captain America, I thought he was going to die when Thanos was beating on him. I'm like, oh, this is where Captain America died. And then he didn't, you know. And so I, I, I liked how throughout they kept you going. You think, you know. I don't know. We'll make you doubt for a little bit. Yeah, we, we, were, we were as savvy as we all are, and as most audiences are now, but especially jerks like us, about, yeah. about genre tropes and, and storytelling. I was not miles ahead of this movie at all. And partly, I didn't want to be. I was just going to the movies. Okay, set the pace movie. I will follow along. I wasn't trying to guess where it was going to go. But the moment you, you just mentioned, the Black Widow Hawkeye moment on, what is it? Uh, I can't, Vormir, I think it was the Man, planet. Vormir, yeah. Um, when she's or Mandor, I wouldn't <laughs> Mordor. When she's, <laughs> you just don't walk into Vormir. Um, <laughs> when she, when they were hanging off the cliff, and she and she says to him, it, it was a really nice acting moment from Scarlett Johansson, which she says, "Let me go." The way she said it, it was like the 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 one of the f- few really vulnerable moments that that character gets. Mm-hmm. It was a plea. And I just liked the way she said it. It was just so quiet, desperate. There were so many moments in this where the sheer number of characters that the filmmakers had to serve should have militated against any really distinctive moments. And there were so many. Seen at the second time, go, wow, that was really nicely done. Hers is actually a real tragedy because she never fully realizes her worth. Right. And... Um, it sucks that again this is the story of the female character but she she felt she had no life or no worth that she was saying in this film but this is all i have so you know and in the uh gosh which one was it 
I think it was Ultron. She said, oh, I can't fall in love or I can't meet anyone because I can't have kids. Oh, as yeah. if that's your only purpose in life as a woman. Oh, I can't have kids, so yep. I'm forfeit. I can't find love, which is infuriating bullshit. But, of course, it was written by man, right? So, um, and so <laughs> she never really feel. I just did. And so she never has any sort of realization of her amazing worth, and she feels she's not worthy of love, and that's that's just fucked. That was the moment that actually got me in trouble in the theater the first time that I saw it. I, I was told, kind of told to shut the fuck up, because when she <laughs> died, no, it was very quiet, and when she died, I said very loudly, no. That oh, is the-, the one scene that really kind of pissed me off in the whole film. Oh, that was the and, moment, okay. Yeah, that was the moment. I, I fucking hated that partially for the actually for the reasons you just said Blanche I really I mean I felt that like they they I really don't think they gave I mean she had some she had great moments scattered throughout the MCU but there was so much untapped potential for that character yep and I real and I really think they did I really think they did uh her Natasha a a grave disservice in the MCU. I really, really do. And I mean, yeah, it was a quote unquote noble and blah blah blah, but still I, I mean I was like, no, this is wrong, this is BS. And I understand everybody was thinking, okay, Hawkeye once again it was mixing people's expectations. Hawkeye lost his family, he should be the one to go. But then she's thinking, No, your family's gonna come back when we win, so you need to survive but still i just that scene the acting made me appreciate i mean the emotion of the level worked for me but the more i thought about the more i'm like this is really this does not serve the character at all yeah uh, yeah right as much as they did right by tony stark they didn't serve natasha well and especially since she she started with tony Like, like they're the opposite of each other of story arc telling she got her arc is flat and his was full and really wonderful. Hell, even even Bruce Banner, he got a three film arc. Mm-hmm. Mentioning Bruce because they did have an Ultron. They they did. He into- literally evolved, by the way. Yes, he yes, did. He did. Exactly. And, and they were hinting at the relationship between her and and Bruce. Or at least some kind of connection. Then that was not like I ever shipped them, but it was fine if it, they did something with it because I'm always but fine. But they did with, nothing with it. Well, here's the thing. So at the end, he finally resolves his issues with the Hulk by becoming Professor Hulk. And that immediately forecloses any possibility of a relationship between the two of them because, I mean, let's just face it, look at his fingers. <laughs> so. <clears throat> um, I'm sorry. Who are you speaking for? I'm talk- so I'm just, yeah, I know, I know. Um, but but the thing is, I didn't even remember that they had had that connection until they're sitting in that diner and he's explaining how he fused the two sides of his persona. And she has this oddly wrecked look in her eyes when she says, I'm really happy for you. Mm-hmm. And I go like, oh, that's right. You guys had a thing. And, you know, he was off planet for three or four movies, but they had a thing and he's the one who said no because of who he was. Right. He pushed her away. Yeah. You know, yeah. I would have liked a scene where he said, you know, now I've, I've got under control. I'm not worried about like in a moment of passion suddenly destroying, <laughs> you know, right. 
I would have liked to have seen that. Some reference to it. I would have too. Yep. But she didn't even get that. And the thing is, the second time, what struck me about that moment that you're talking about, Blanche, with Black Widow and Hawkeye, the, the first time it was the same thing. I was ping-ponging back and forth, wondering who it was going to be. And, and I think, well, you know, Hawkeye did lose his entire family, so he has a lot of skin in the game. So you can, him making a sacrifice certainly makes narrative and emotional sense. But then I thought, the second time, I'm thinking, wait a minute. The stakes are exactly the same for her. Mm-hmm. She, she, he gets his family back if this works. She gets her family back. If yep. this works, mm-hmm. so you're right, and they didn't they didn't value that for her apparently, and and it didn't weigh that he's a a wild murderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> somebody posted on Twitter, you know, what would have happened if they'd have sent somebody like Rhodey and the Hulk to go get this other thing? Yeah, it's like you know, we're we're more like uh, colleagues than friends, so. <laughs> Like, it's kind of funny that without knowing the, the, the price, they sent the exact right people to get the Soul Stone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With Hawkeye, uh, Daddy's Home takes on a whole ominous sense, like a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's Daddy who's killed so many people. <laughs> but now what I, what I would like to do is since th- since th- this movie is so freaking long and there are so many moments and things that happen in the film, I want to open basically the whole film up to the group. Uh, what is something that you guys specifically would like to talk about anywhere in the film? What is the one, like a moment or a scene or a character arc anywhere in the film that you guys want to talk about? And let's start with Blanche. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know if I want to talk about it because I don't know if I can, but I just, I just want to say one of the points that was the most powerful for me uh, the second time watching the the first time everything was just I'm soaking it all in and trying to uh, absorb what the heck is happening. But the second time was really impactful was uh, at the end, Tony's already snapped his fingers. And when uh, Pepper goes to him and says, you know, they set it up, right? He says, she says, well, I should take this information, throw it in the lake and go to bed. He says, but will you, will you rest? And then she says, later we'll be all right. You can rest now. And if anybody's ever been at someone's bedside at that moment, you like you have a flashback and it, you, you, you said the exact same thing. So I think that's so powerful for a lot of us who, who have been there and seen that. I was in tears. I was like, oh, my gosh. I've All I that. could think of was mom. I'm not going to lie. All I, could, I wasn't even thinking about Tony Stark at that moment. All I could think of was mom. And exactly. I was openly weeping. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. can laugh about it now. But at that moment, I was openly weeping. And it really wasn't for Tony. And I hate saying that. <laughs> but no, it was. I... All I could think of was mom. Of course, me too. I was not. I was thinking of the people that for whom I was there for in that moment, and and you say the same thing. You're just reassuring, saying we're going to be all right. You can you can go now. You can rest. You'll be we'll be fine. You know. Thank you. And I just I just went there and I was just overwhelmed. God, I'm even tearing up a little just thinking about that scene right now. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, too. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's okay. I mean, it's therapy. <laughs> but, uh, no, that was, that really, for me, that was such a great moment. It really was. Looking looking on it at, from a movie moment-wise, not just the personal connection, but, like, for a connection to the movie, that was a phenomenal scene. It really was. Okay, John, anything anything specific anywhere in the movie you want to babble about? Yeah, well, 
You know it's going to be about the timey-wimey. <laughs> well, we need to get into the timey-wimey, so let's get into the wibbly-wobbly. Okay, yeah, because considering all the stuff that they went through, which included traveling through the quantum realm and using spaceships, etc., and then Steve did it all by himself without any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, how, how is he He's moving? Just, he was so he... good. How is he moving around from location to location? I mean, I, I guess the time machine just dropped him off. He, he improvised, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the, no, the quantum realm chopped him off exactly in the, in the right spot. Okay. And then I, and I, and I always wondered, so what did he do when he encountered Red Skull again? Oh, yeah, that would have been an awkward. Oh, hi. Oh, hey. So, hey, you landed on your feet. That's great. So you got a job. I, uh, I'm, I'm not that guy anymore. I just want you to know. Yeah. <laughs> right. new, new, new wardrobe. Kind of go with an emo thing I see here. <laughs> there was one emotional moment that I thought uh, I, the directors of the actor just kind of missed when Hawkeye was back at the end and his wife comes and hugs him. Just one reference to the haircut. Just something. <laughs> Look up and say, so this is new. <laughs> something. <laughs> So, someone's been to Fantastic Sam's. <laughs> Scott, this is less uh, an emotional thing because I Blanche's point kind of left me thinking about a lot of things, and and uh, <clears throat> I need to step away from that for a second, or I'm going to get weepy. So yeah. Mary was mentioning that uh, amidst a lot of the praise, the website, the Mary Sue, took strong exception to Fat Thor being played for a joke. I get that, but I also saw a lot of pathos in I, yes. those moments. When I watched it the second time and I, and I really looked at what – it was funny, but then you look underneath that and you see what Chris Hemsworth was doing. It was like mm-hmm. tears in his eyes and he's still saying things that, that are making you laugh. Although it's like he's saying these things that are making us laugh because he can't cope. He can't deal. He's just being torn up. He's in complete denial. Chris Hemsworth is really – turned out to be a remarkable actor – in that he is so gifted comedically and yet can deliver an emotional punch. At the same time, he's getting you to laugh. The, the amount of sheer thespic skill on display in this movie is amazing. And I don't think if they had, if Marvel had been less smart with casting, if they had done more stunt casting early on in the process, they wouldn't have been able to deliver these moments so efficiently. And, and there was no other, they had to. Anything that wasn't efficiently realized, I'm sure wound up in the cutting room floor because there was just so much story to get through. And the amount of work, the number of multiple effects and moments that these actors were achieving simultaneously was pretty remarkable. But the thing about the fat Thor bit was it made me think about a period in my life where I had a very similar reaction. I was working a terrible soul-crushing job for a guy who, no fault of his own, wound up in a managerial position purely by accident and should not have been and made life miserable for everyone who worked for him. And I would come home and I would drink and I would stress eat and I got fat, I got lethargic and depressed. And I was like, hey, I feel you, Thor. It was funny, but I didn't think they were making fun of him. Uh, and if I they were, either. it was only in the sense that, oh, well, look, if this, hey, if this god can get puffy yeah. after, <laughs> you know, a depressing interlude in his life, don't feel bad about those few pounds of holiday weight gain you experienced. Because... You know, dealing with your you family and Thanksgiving is always depressing. Throw a braid in your hair and you'll be awesome. Thanks. What I, <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. I agree. I saw that people saying, oh, the fat jokes were rude. And I'm sorry, the fat stuff in our audience, every time they showed his gut, the audience roared. Yeah. Because it was shocking to see, mostly. But what this film did, and I don't know if anybody, no- anybody else noticed, is that every surviving Avenger had a different grief stress reaction. 
Thor just washed out and became fat and, you know, stress ate and whatever. And uh, Natasha threw herself into the work, no matter how futile it may or may be. And that was all her one and only focus. Captain America had a very healthy, let's let's get therapy and move forward. We'll do groups, group support. And then Tony Stark just plowed forward. Forget the past. It's gone. It's over. It didn't happen or, you know, it happened, but it, I don't want to think about it. The future is now. Let me focus on what I have in front of me. And so they all had different stress reactions. And so that was really wonderfully done. And I think smart of the the Russos because everybody could identify with one of them because mm-hmm. those are the basic reactions we humans have in something stressful. And so someone could could identify somewhere. And considering about Thor, I just got to say, I can't wait for the Asgardians of the Galaxy movie. I, I can't wait either. <laughs> I'm, I was hoping that was real. I'm like, James Gunn, did that, is that what you wrote? <laughs> since, since you brought that up, uh, you're talking about Hemsworth's uh, comic ability. Just when he is at the that perfect reading of, you know, you are, right? And then he says it again, you are. And then he just almost whispers the third. You yep. Yeah, that was perfect reading. I went, that's so good. Uh, I mean, I would, I wouldn't have thought of that, and yet it came out so funny. I, I, I really do. I really, really, really hope that if that wasn't the original plan for part three, that he is incorporated into part three because any chance to have Thor and Rocket together just makes me happy. <laughs> yes. I mean, as much as I love Thor and Hulk in Ragnarok, I would love a Thor Rocket team up movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so would I. The movie we didn't know we needed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, 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 oh, my God. There are so many things that I could talk about. The, the one moment that I got to mention that I thought the Russos did brilliantly, and this is in the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey moment, is I love they touched upon one of the most controversial moments in Captain America history, and they did it brilliantly. Two words, Hail Hydra. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. (laughs) I was so fucking happy when he did that. (laughs) That was absolutely brilliant. And then just the little Steve. I think the way the way Chris Evans plays him, Steve is incapable of smirking. But that little (laughs) smile like, yeah, okay, you assholes. How how perfect was that, though, to show the, the Steve Rogers arc? Mm-hmm. You know, we get to see him as as the Boy Scout, and then him now, like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know you can, you know, you yeah, know I, I know you can, yeah, exactly. I know you can, and and he was saying he said bad words in this movie, yeah, several. Son of, let's yeah. get the son of a bitch. Does and... he? Does he in fact have America's ass? I love the He's way he did so that line. Does. I okay, <laughs> Blanche, you you want to you want to give the official pronouncement then that that's a yes. Yeah, it's yeah, it goes without saying. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm saluting it in spirit. So. <laughs> That's something else I want to talk about, just briefly. I want to give credit to the writers, because this movie managed to sustain action, mood, emotional stakes, and humor over three hours. Is it's a David Lean-like achievement that I don't think David Lean could have pulled off. We've all lost people that we cared about, and I suspect we all had similar responses in that, with the worst times, the gallows humor comes out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just reminded me of times where when you feel your absolute worst and you're with somebody who's feeling the same, if you can both laugh. Yeah. And that's how the humor felt in this. Not gratuitous, not jokey. That goes back to what Blanche said about how everyone had a different coping mechanism. But overall, the film 
was helping us get through this with humor. And I, I appreciated it, and I admired it the way they did it. Yeah, Blanche and I were discussing the uh, Captain America's journey from being a Boy Scout to what he finally became. And I thought that, that that whole thing with Bucky is what kind of made him switch over to say, I'm not the good guy anymore. I'm not the real the Boy Scout anymore. Yes, I actually can't hurt somebody. Yeah, that was one of the great things about Winter Soldier, which I think is one of the first right. movies where people sat up and said, oh, hey, maybe these just aren't mere popcorn movies. Right. Because right. having Captain America, the ultimate Boy Scout, sustain the ultimate betrayal from people he respect to the point where it makes him question, clearly things are not all as black and white as I thought they were. Maybe mm. I'm not the good guy. Maybe I'm not automatically on the side of the angels. That was a big part of pushing him down the path he went. And the thing I loved about Steve is that he was battered and bowed, but he was in no way cynical. He was was disillusioned, but he didn't let it make him cynical, which is why I think it was perfectly appropriate that he was able to pick up Mjolnir. He was able to use the hammer. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was a wonderful moment, wasn't it? Yes. Actually, for me, the moment that did it for me, I have not actually cheered like outright cheered in a blockbuster since 1983 with with return of the jedi ah. you know a movie that and that's the star wars geek in me i admit but for the first time since return of the jedi that final avengers assemble mm-hmm. i fucking screamed my guts out at that they had me they absolutely had me now the film had me I freely admit, when they killed Thanos right at the beginning. And I'm like, I have no idea where the hell they're going to go. Okay, I am totally on board with this. But man, that that Avengers assemble and that huge, everybody running at each other from Civil War magnified by a thousand. Mm -hmm. I I was cheering my balls off. And so was everybody else in the theater. And that was the first time that I had that type of group since Jedi. And that was an amazing moment. You know, I think they gave us a hint at the uh, at his, his being able to handle a hammer early on when he moved it when no one and, else could. In, in Ultron. Yeah. In, that, Ultron. in Ultron. Yeah. Yes, in Ultron. it was Ultron. I read a piece at the time that I didn't agree with. I can't remember where I read it. Steve was perfectly capable of picking up Mjolnir in that scene, but he didn't want to hurt Thor's feelings. Like he was as surprised mm. as Thor was. That he was able to right. budget, and then he just pretended. And I rewatched the scene and I go, yeah, there's, I mean, I can see how yeah. you could say that, but it's, I think that's a leap. But I, I did too. I went back and watched, went back and saw that too recently. I was like, oh, yeah, you could read that. You could mm. definitely read that into that. Mm-hmm. I could see that, but yeah. I'll have to rewatch the scene because I've never even thought of that before. And the, and the, right. the, 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 the Thor says the same line in each scene when Steve like budges it and then goes, oh, oh, I can't. Thor heaves a, a, an obviously relieved, Sides yeah. as he is right. Like, oh, I knew it. And then right. this time, uh, there's a triumphant when he picks it up. I knew it. That's <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Since we brought up Steve, um, there's something I want to switch real fast. We're talking about Steve Rogers. Another thing that I have seen on the interwebs is a hatred for the for Steve's ending. What? Yes, I've people, seen that, yeah. you've seen this too. People are saying that C- Captain America would not have spent his life. He gave up the he would not have given up the good fight blah 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 this bless not within Captain America's character blah 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 yes, this blah, I've blah, read blah blah that, that too. Yeah, that's that was what one of the timey wimey things that opened thousands of questions as to how, you know, how that all came about and how it why on the bench why that how does Bucky know about it? Does Bucky not know about it? You know, et cetera. Oh, it just opens so many questions. But it, the people who say that they'll miss his arc, and I think that was the point. He is now, he is not that old Captain America. He is a new, new 
and he has sacrificed so much and and we we've seen him do for his friends against his other friends like as uh, with the winter soldier and civil war and all this stuff and yeah i think so i think he's at a place where he's like now it's my turn and that's exactly thank you and i'm sorry when they finally show him dancing with peggy when he finally gets that dance with peggy i'm like okay this doesn't make any sense it is wibbly wobbly but i don't care this is this is beautiful. This is absolutely beautiful. This is this is a great way to end the character. Well, this and is, when's a man allowed to take a vacation if not after saving the universe? Exactly. <laughs> Speaking so of wibbly wobbly, it's like he was touched by one of the weeping angels and he went back in time and lived out his life. Right. All right. right. Fair enough. But I, I think I think the choice of Harry James has been a long, long time. It's been time. a long, long time. Yeah. Like perfect. You're absolutely right. It could not have been more perfect. I mean, that song came out in 1945, the same year Steve went into the ice, and it was a song traditionally played for servicemen returning from World War II. And Steve never got that serenade. He never got to marching in parades he never got that moment of victory so it was perfect on so many levels and not just because of the romantic mood that it created at that moment i mean the first time i saw it i was just happy because i loved the character and i thought it was a perfect send-off and i always felt bad they sustained the importance of his relationship with peggy through all the film Mm -hmm. you know he never really got involved with anyone else he never he was he always sort of long for her but it was impossible in that heartbreaking thing again when he was at her bedside when she was Mm -hmm. dying that was heartbreaking the fact that he got his life and the fact that he went back to point where he lost it in the 40s and he's like all right yeah he's not the guy who went into the ice in 1945 but because Mm -hmm. he didn't become cynical he can go back and live in that simpler time he Mm -hmm. he knows things he's experienced things but he hasn't been spoiled Mm -hmm. we're we're wondering if peggy's niece said you look a lot like uncle steve <laughs> well, you, you, you know, I mean, they, they were careful to say, look, go back the, in the past. It's not going to have any effect on the future, except it does if you right. take in Infinity Stones. That's the one exception because that, that exactly. breaks time. But the second time I saw it, and they're outdoors by the lake working with that that makeshift time machine, and Steve says goodbye. Bucky's not really expressive. Uh, watching what what he was doing, I go, oh, he knows. He knows. He, knows yeah. he, he said, I'm going to miss you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. I'm yep. expecting that he's going to be back in 10 seconds. Right. Yeah. So the first time I didn't notice that. And I was a little bugged that Sam, although Sam was very important. Bucky was the antagonist in Winter Soldier and Sam was an ally. And Sam does become Captain America. I was annoyed probably, I guess, because I read the Ed Brubaker Captain America run where Bucky was Captain America. Okay. So I was like, well, but Bucky was is his BFF. Why isn't Bucky going over there and having this conversation with him? But Bucky already knows how this is going to work out. Mm-hmm. So Bucky always, Bucky had a slightly harder time with the stolen life, man out of time thing because he didn't freely give his life. It was taken from him by Hydra mm-hmm. and then the Russians. And he would say, you know, oh, I'm not bad for a hundred year old man. And mm-hmm. then I was, you see Steve, you think, wait, okay, canonically. And, and in the comics and in the movie, Steve was born in 1918. So 20, so he's 101 years old. He looks pretty good, but he is a century old man. So mm-hmm. he actually, he actually got to live that whole life, which Bucky didn't. Real quick tangent too. Two characters that I kind of want to talk about that we haven't mentioned yet. Um, one, a character arc over a series of movies that I found a very nice resolution to in this film was also Nebula. Mm. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed how the character of Nebula has changed since her introduction in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think Karen Gillian, back to wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, Amy mm-hmm. Pond did a phenomenal job with the character. Mm-hmm. So not Amy Pond. 
Exactly. Not Amy Pond. I did not like Nebula at all in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. And by Endgame, I'm like, I love this character. Yeah. And how come she couldn't remember that a version of her came back and, oh, never mind. And the other character that, that, that I feel we need to talk about, the, the true and only real hero of Avengers Endgame, the rat. Ah, yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we have to talk about that rat. <laughs> it wasn't for All that. Hail the rat. Because, yeah, exactly. And we have we actually we haven't mentioned we haven't mentioned Ant Man. Of course, you. I mean, and oh, here's we here's a mention. There's a lot of things. Marvel. We haven't mentioned Doctor Strange. Now that they have a time machine. Now that they have a time machine, where do you, what do you think they're going to do with that? Is that going to be used to, I mean, I mean, some people are saying that that might be used to, like, try and save Black Widow, considering Hulk said he was hoping to snap her back and it didn't. You know, will they use it to save, quote-unquote, Gamora? Well, Gamora well, lives. Gamora's fine, yeah. Well, really, yeah, yeah, It's yeah, a different yeah. version, so it's we get different. to see them fall in love all over again. Oh, my gosh, it's so wonderful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, my, my theory, and I'm sure everyone, right. a lot of people feel the same way, is, is that we're going to see Steve one more time on Vermeer returning the soul stone and Natasha's life was like your driver's license that you leave with the boat rental guy at the lake her soul was on deposit so when Steve returns the soul stone he gets the soul back Potentially. And I say that solely because I just hope that now that they've invented time travel in the MCU, they can they immediately forget about it. Me because, too. Because yeah. they didn't put enough thought into, as John and Blanche are pointing out, the mechanics of time travel to make it interesting. It was it was purely a plot device and I was I was fine with that because that wasn't what I cared about. If time travel features in future, uh, they're gonna have to really work on the mechanics of yes, it right. and the, the repercussions. Here's something we should all think about. Thanos' minions, his army, etc., apparently stayed loyal to him for five years, more than five years, because he lived in that hut, right? Mm -hmm. So to be able to come at his call when he decided to come and destroy the Earth. Um, But here's the important thing. Since everybody wasn't really gone, they were just sort of gone, Thanos and his minions are now just sort of gone. Yes. That's true. And the the stones are not destroyed. They are put back where they were. So they're findable again. And they they never really dealt with that. Tilda Swinton's ancient one says, you know, if you remove the time stone or you move these specific stones from this moment in time, you you will create fracturing branches of space-time continuity. So when Thanos destroyed the stones, he did that. There were there, there must have been multiple branching realities at that point. They also could have used that as a plot device to to navigate to where they wanted to go. Except the explanation came too late in the film. So the explanation of time travel came early enough that it, and was simple enough and had been set up in the Ant Man films. Again, there, there are all kinds of potential repercussions to this. Well, uh, development we already that they didn't know one since past Loki escaped with the Tesseract. Yep, I was wondering if that was set up for the Loki show. I'm yes. about 99% sure it is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now that the Mind Stone has been restored, there's some question of whether that will be the MacGuffin that drives the WandaVision show on Disney+. Plus. Will the eventual Disney ride be WandaVision 3D? <laughs> WandaVision 4K 3D. Just as long as it's, <laughs> as long as it's not in smell of vision <laughs> what, what about the Bucky Sam show? It, he's Captain America now, right? Yep. So it's Bucky and Captain America. I, no, he's called the, oh, the, yeah. the title is the Falcon. Yeah. So what's right. up with that? 
because the show would be a good way to lay down because there will be people who will be against it, of course. There always are. Oh, no, black man. So it would be a good way to get people low-key used to him in the suit. No? Anyway, whatever. That's just well, my thought. If he was the new Captain America, Captain America was Captain America not because he was a good guy, but also he was enhanced. And he's just got this suit. He's not really enhanced. He just has his suit. So, you know, it's uh, not just quite the same. It's not. He doesn't have superpowers. He, had, he has right. technology. Exactly. But then you can say the same thing about Iron Man. Yes. Except Tony Stark has his superpower is his, uh, is his brain, which allows him to come up with the precise plot device they need at any moment. Yes, right. indeed. That in itself is quite a superpower. Yeah, it is. Was anybody else amused by the quite literal picking up the gauntlet and running with it with all the characters who are going to have movies in the future? <laughs> Now that you mention it, yes. Retroactively, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. Oh, that's, oh, another thing that I thought was interesting, getting back into Tony real fast, meeting Jarvis. Yes. <laughs> that was a nice little thing well, that I was not expecting at all. You didn't watch the Agent Carter series? I did not. Oh, oh well, he's, he's a main character in that. Really? Really? Yeah. Okay. okay. I all right. No, oh, you should go back was, and see it. Definitely. Fun. That was worth it. That was part of the complaints and stuff because having uh, Peggy with Steve kind of messes up a lot of what went on in the uh, in the CB series. Well, all just right. a, a, I will, I will a hinted romance. Yeah. I will. I will definitely check it out. That was something that completely just slipped under my radar. I ha- I also haven't watched Agents of Shield. Now, the only Marvel shows that I have watched were the net- the Netflix shows. I can't lie. Right. Unfortunately, uh, Agent Carter apparently slipped under a lot of people's radar because it, it only lasted two seasons but it was it was good I, I enjoyed so it. good okay i yeah. know well i will check it out i'm sure i can find it somewhere on streaming so i will definitely check it out then again for me watch the film i was like okay so butler jarvis this explains why tony built the okay nice little connection there i like that yeah before we get into our, our our usual ending is there anything specific that anybody else would like to throw into the hodgepodge of this discussion i would just like to mention that i believe this is the officially the first time in the show we've ever had a hodgepodge <laughs> oh no we, we had a hodgepodge uh, no, 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 we have a, we had a coffee clatch, but I okay. don't believe we had a hodgepodge. Okay. Never named, it was never named as such. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right then, let us get into the fascinating, irritating. Let us begin with Blanche. I knew you were going to do that. Uh, look, I was utterly fascinated that while, I'm going to throw them all into one, while there were certain gaping, irritating wibbly wobbly timey wimey things and they were and i john and i went back and forth because i kept i kept trying to connect the dots and make them work seamlessly and i couldn't and that was irritating but i was so fascinated by how it said you know fuck it i don't care i love it it was so much fun it they they did right by so many of their characters maybe not all but they closed things up and uh it was it was entertaining and i wanted to go with it even though so that's that's my fascinating irritating Wow, all in one. That was impressive, Blanche. Well done. That's (laughs) John. What I found, I guess, fascinating was that throughout the film, they would set you up for something and then take it away and set you up for something else and then take it away. It's like you keep on thinking this is a good word, though, and then no, it's not. And like one of the examples of that is, all right, so they built a time machine. Time machine got destroyed by Thanos. But wait, there's the van time machine. Oh, it got destroyed by Thanos. Oh, so it's like... Just what you think is, okay, this is going to be the solution. The solution gets taken away from you. I just, I, I thought that was fascinating. They were able to uh, 
And again, the thing we talked about uh, Hawkeye and uh, and Black Widow, who's going to actually go over the cliff? You know, they kept you going one way, then the other, then the other, then the other. And that's just, that's some really great filmmaking, I think. And the script was just amazing. But let's see, uh, irritating. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> so, I. Uh, since it happened right at the beginning, um, having Captain Marvel speaking in space uh, just got me right away. <laughs> just said, "Okay, so he's got really great powers." Mm-hmm. All right, you're in a you're in a vacuum. Why is why is your audio better than our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a question though. Did anybody notice which stone Thanos used to punch Captain Marvel? The power stone. Ooh, the yellow one. No, was no, it, the it, was the, it was the purple one. Oh, yeah, purple. Okay. Yeah, it, and yes. I thought that was clever because because he he headbutts her and she doesn't even flinch. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Which the audience, my eye, it's just went nuts for both times. Like, oh well, this is interesting. This is this is a stalemate, and then he rips out the power stone, makes a fist, and punches her, and she's out of the game. Like, all right, that's. That was clever. I mean, they kept coming again. The script kept finding clever solutions, kept setting exactly. up problems, kept you guessing, and then delivered delivered a solution you weren't expecting. Right. Iron Man, and, Iron Man with a screwdriver. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and and didn't didn't that moment show you how easy it is to pop one of those off? <laughs> yep. Yeah. What? Yeah, John but, was what, 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 along. what is it? What that. is holding those in there? Elmer's. Get some gorilla glue, dude. <laughs> a very bad glue stick. <laughs> All right, Scott. Fascinating. Uh, I alluded to this. How they worked in so many references to the past, not as Easter eggs as most films do, or or cameos that give something the feel of a sitcom clip show, but as storytelling elements that paid off earlier characters and events, and in unexpected ways. I mean, we're all waiting for Steve to say Avengers Assemble. We've been waiting for that for years. But even running jokes and recurrent tropes, like Steve saying, oh, I can do this all day, mm-hmm. those things we were expecting were thrown away as jokes. But you know what? There were jokes that worked. And, you know, you guys know my philosophy. If a joke lands, it cannot, by definition, be a throwaway moment. And then the other stuff, and this is stepping outside the movie somewhat, it shows how we have changed as audiences in the way we relate to and experience films. Like sending the the bouquet with Tony's first arc reactor that Pepper had put in a block of lucite. such proof that Tony Stark has a heart. They didn't say, oh, I remember when I gave that to Tony. There was no explanation. They didn't show something and then have somebody lampshade it. They assume we've all seen these movies multiple times. And at least in my case, that's absolutely true. Just as somebody at least tangentially involved in the business, I wonder how this is going to affect storytelling going forward. Irritation? The irritation was confined solely to my lumbar region. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> three, three, three hours was a lot to get through. But you know what? Each time I got up out of that chair, I was in excruciating pain. And in each case, I didn't notice any pain at all until the credits. It's like, oh, I'm in agony. Thanks, movie. That was a very... <laughs> this movie is a very effective analgesic. I can recommend it. You know, you'd mentioned about how if you if you thought it would change storytelling at all. And I unfortunately, I don't think it will. Um, but it was really kind of cool to show the end result of Marvel's uh, decision to trust and put its faith in the audience and create such an amazing, lengthy arc that nobody ever would have tried, ever. No studio would have tried this from the get-go. Can you imagine pitching that to someone? Yes, and we're going to have an arc. It's going to be 10 years, and it's going to be 22 movies long, and in the end, it's going to be a huge payoff where the audience is going to be with us. 
Security. Security. Yep. Yep. And we're going to get $2 billion in the first two weekends alone. (laughs) Okay? Yeah, that would never happen. And I'm excited that it paid off in in an immense way for those of us who went along for the ride. But I I don't have the faith that that people will be willing to try it with the diligence that Marvel did. I think you'll have some attempts, but they'll be half-assed and ham-fisted. And when it doesn't work out in the first film, they'll be given up on pretty quickly. Like DC. Say, yeah, that was like an DC, outlier. Yeah. That was an outlier. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen again. No, well, you, it just, that was work. I, I just want to say, as a writer, my natural enemy are producers. So this is painful for me to admit, but Marvel is so lucky they had Kevin Feige. They had a guy who knows movie production and loves comic book characters. You know, usually you get one or the other. You know, you get a guy who can't make the movie happen, but just loves the characters and wastes years in development hell. Or you get a producer who's great at making movies but doesn't understand why the characters work and what they mean to the fans. And he got it. And and when they said that they had a plan, I immediately dismissed that 10 years ago. Because nobody, everyone always says that. Nobody ever does. They just wing it. Because you can't afford to make, you won't make plans 10 years in advance. That's insane. Who knows? What if the third movie of the franchise bombs? Also, you can't get that detailed because spoilers will leak. I cannot believe how airtight Marvel has been through this whole process about spoilers. And and part of it is they built up a lot of fan goodwill because usually it's the fans who find this stuff out and leak it to social media. And the fans, for the most part, have been really good about not spoiling the experience for other fans. But they must have really thought this thing through from the very beginning had a plan because so much pays off the skeleton of this thing was clearly built years ago and i agree i don't think this has ever been done in the in the history of motion pictures it's kind of a revolution but i also think uh, how could anyone ever replicate it they can try good luck well we've seen what dc can do um the actual you guys pretty much just went through my fascinating thing um i am truly amazed that this film was able to end a 22 film story and effectively end a 22 film story. And the fact that at the end credits, all you got was the sound of hammering. Yeah. Which I thought was a beautiful, a beautiful freaking final thing to end on. Like this was, that was them literally going, this is it. Starting next film on, we have a whole new ball game. And I'm also, I'm amazed with the fact that as someone who is, not a big superhero fan. By Endgame, I was invested in all these characters. And the fact that it was able to get emotional reactions out of me. And not all of them connected to the death of my mother recently. I was genuinely invested in these characters. I was invested in this story. Wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey problems aside. Again, this is one of those moments where I just didn't care. This is moments where I can say, you know what? It's a, This is a true comic book film. Comic books do this shit all the time. Roll with it. And I was perfectly, I was perfectly fine with that. I, as, as again, as much as I have ragged on Marvel in the past for various reasons, I cannot deny they knocked this fucker out of the park. Yep. They truly did. And I give them mad, mad props for it, except for my most irritating thing, which is I think they completely fucked up Black Widow. Right. And that and I, I, I mean, I I. I cannot wait for the solo film, um, but I just I, that, that this that was I think the one big misstep that they had over this entire thing was just the way they handled Black Widow. Uh, and unfortunately, unfortunately, that's that's a tough one for me to get over because I really like Scarlett Johansson as well, and she did a great job in this. And I just think they did they gave her they didn't give her anything. <laughs> yeah. And, 
that really does kind of sadden me. But that being said, considering what, what everything else that they did right with this, you know, that is a minor irritation, even more so. I can't wait for phase four. Yeah. Right. I am genuinely looking forward to seeing where they go next. I I, I want to see the Eternals. I can't wait for. I don't know the name of the character, but I know there's the uh, martial arts movie that they're going to be coming out with sometimes. Oh, Shang Shang Chi. Shang Chi. Yeah, I can't <clears throat> wait for that. I vaguely remember the comic from when I was a kid, but I'm just like, okay, that's what it is. I am down for that mother. So I, I I really do. Like I said, as much as I've ragged on Marvel in the past, they 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 did this right and. The, all of the fan service was appropriate. Well fucking done, Marvel. You got me. <laughs> it may have taken 22 films, but you finally got me. <laughs> all they need to do is keep listening to this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> or just listening to you, John. Just listening to you. You can fix the MCU. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ke- Kevin Feige, I know you're listening. Uh, I'll contact you later. I'll give you, I'll give you John's direct number. You can just call and, him. You don't have to wait for the next and, episode. And save the universe. And save the universe. <laughs> there you go. All right. John Blanche, thank you so much for joining us on this meandering but surprisingly succinct new movie crew on Endgame. As always, it has been an absolute pleasure. Kate, we can't, can't wait to have you guys on for the next one. Don't know where it'll be yet, but we will see you guys soon. All right. Uh, Scott, fuck off. No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sick. Leave me alone. (laughs) Scott, I hope you and Mrs. C feel better. Thank you. And folks, we will see you in two weeks with another episode of the Slum Gully in America's only podcast. And until later, later.